case of mini tech, I need a mic check Because the static comes sporadic MCs be hooked like addicts while casualties stay tragic There ain't no glamour in that story All guts, no glory Entrenched in jealousy just like the suckers who will bore me They tell but they don't know the core So war's now my reference Like Mumia, there is no evidence To say I am more than I am I'm bending, never ending, similar to million men Me say just us, you say me bus bus Mental stagnation like the cancer patients eating cow fuss As the minds rust from doing the dust, I rest in Mecca The words sound power as an energy, see Hecka To die because you're black, simply be no cause at all Surreality just like the legends of the fall Initial looks of the shook hearted Kids who shouldn't have started Lyrics leave like spirits in the waters, Moses parted Do a dodge your slogan, but niggas slip with Trojans Major mental corrosion like Murray's meat unfrozen I am the chosen, earth, sun, moon, and stars Hard for me to find a top contender just to spar Some keep the exterior and think inferior Next you know they're calling for a soundboard burial D&D studio, be wicked, catch wreck for infinity One love, peace to Bahamadi Like salt and pepper, I take it to the next plateau Niggas green, they want this brown and sugar like D'Angelo I make it better for fanatics, fiending for the butterboo Like 25 the life, I do some lack and getting power with you Oh, I put my little thing in action Smooth like satin, no special ed when he was taxing Heads relaxing, play the back when I spill I regulate a flow like chicks on birth control pills Ill antics, keep it moving on Bouncing like non on from Illidan to Lebanon, no doubt, street of hard work, street of hard work. Is it that most of the people who are against abortion are people you wouldn't want to fuck in the first place, huh? Boy, these conservatives are really something, aren't they? They're all in favor of the unborn. They will do anything for the unborn. But once you're born, you're on your own. <laughs> Pro-life conservatives are obsessed with the fetus from conception to nine months. After that, they don't want to know about you. They don't want to hear from you. No, nothing. No neonatal care, no daycare, no Head Start, no school lunch, no food stamps, no welfare, no nothing. If you're pre-born, you're fine. If you're preschool, you're fucked. <laughs> you're fucked. Conservatives don't give a shit about you until you reach military age. Then they think you are just fine, just what they've been looking for. Conservatives want live babies so they can raise them to be dead soldiers. <laughs> pro-life. Pro-life. These people aren't pro-life, they're killing doctors. What kind of pro-life is that? What, they'll do anything they can to save a fetus, but if it grows up to be a doctor, they just might have to kill it? <laughs> They're not pro-life. You know what they are? They're anti-woman. Simple as it gets. Anti-woman. They don't like them. They don't like women. They believe a woman's primary role is to function as a broodmare for the state. Pro-life. You don't see many of these white anti-abortion women volunteering to have any black fetuses transplanted into their uteruses, do you? No, you don't see them adopting a whole lot of crack babies, do you? Now, that might be something Christ would do. <laughs> now, that was an old-school hip-hop song, Bahamadia, called Three the Hard Way, featuring three female MCs, followed by George Carlin, speaking about women's rights. A little crass, but I just couldn't help think of a better opening few minutes of this podcast 
by displaying not only the verbal ability of three uh, amazing women, but along with biting commentary from a man. Uh, by the time you hear this podcast, I'm recording it obviously early, but it'll be next week's news, last week's news. So, you know, I found it fascinating that last week, within the course of three days, Americans were subjected to a three-course meal of ideals and hypocrisy. Uh, now, of course, I'm talking about the Supreme Court decision that rendered Roe v. Wade toothless, overturning the decision, and essentially saying that states have, a, have the right to direct health care for women. Now, we shall obviously do a deep dive into the subject and how this ruling directly fl- applies to black America in particular. But the other two things that happened was the Met Gala um, and the White House Correspondents' Dinner. The former being a fundraiser for the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Of course, nobody talks about the Museum of Art, and you know we mostly focus on the fashion and celebrity. And the latter, the White, Horse Co- White House Correspondents' Dinner, which was designed to raise scholarship money for journalist students. The irony being that not a single press clip highlights the purpose and or scholarship. What in fact has turned into a more like a political ritzy cool persons club, right with attendees from Hollywood music and high profile media figures. Both these things are invite only, which is funny considering the altruistic reason behind both events. It's to provide access to those who can't afford to protect, partake in regular human endeavors. Or as the late George Carlin said, you know, it's a big club, you know, but you're not in it. For me, these three events happening in 72 hours of one another truly highlight the pervasive problem in American culture. Not only does politics, the press, and societal elite only operate in an invite-only good old boys club mentality, but all three events last week, weirdly enough, tried to distract you from the purpose of the very thing that's important. For the galas and the dinner, it was the coolness and the fashion over the scholarship and the fundraising. For the Supreme Court, it was who leaked the document? And not focusing on let's just restrict human rights to uh, let's restrict uh, humans right to their own personal decisions. Listen, between the White House correspondence dinner, um, the gala where the, and where the media fraternized with the very people who are looking to take away your American way of life. The Met Gala where celebrities um, showcase their narcissism all the while um, happening on the same night that the Supreme Court privately voted to overturn Roe v. Wade is literally a bad plot in the Hunger Games. The reality is that these events highlight the dystopian house of cards that is our American society. People know more about Pete Davidson, Kim Kardashian, and Kanye West and that for their fiasco than they know who's on their legisl- who's a legislative representative or who's on the Supreme Court. All this speaks to the lack of seriousness in our, in our culture. The media not holding congressional leaders or themselves responsible for the dissolution of American character. The Supreme Court utilizing gaslighting as rationale for the destructive decision and, of course, our obsession with the American celebrity culture. Just sticking with the Supreme Court's haphazard decision, though, it's a scary thing when the court's rationale for disrupting a health standard is because they lack historical precedent in the, precedent in the Constitution for federal protection over a private issue. Therefore, we are going to kick down the legislative branch to provide federal protection over a private issue. Huh? That doesn't make any sense. Or as an oldie but goodie for conservatives, eliminating federalism and instituting states' rights on the matter. That should give every black person a chill in their their spine. Now, we are stupid to think that the state legislators, uh, who have spent the better part of the last two years restricting black voting rights, will actually give a shit about the rights and protections of women. But this is never about protecting women, just like the removing of black voting rights isn't about protecting protection of democracy. This is about control. Or as George Carlin said in that clip, it's about being anti-women. Think I'm lying? If this was really about protection of fetuses, why is there no law allowing medical, why is there no law uh, allowing medical leave for, in place for women covering medical expenses 
um, including funerals for miscarriages. I mean, the fetus is a living, breathing organism, correct? So why is there no care for these same Christians surrounding death of babies due to nature's uncompromising, unfortunate, extremely traumatic circumstance? Because it's not about the fetuses. It's about control of women. Society has made a living of the power class inserting its dominance and point of view on the downtrodden and even unevenly matched. Men making decisions for women is like a vegetarian making the dinner menu for a carnivore. In perpetuity. Patriarchy is a hell of a drug. Patriarchy, hypocrisy, and power operate as the pillars of the great American system. Three, these things, no matter what, whether we're talking about entertainment, politics, or just people, operate in a three-way hard system for people to adapt. But it's all good, as long as we can pay attention to the beautiful gowns and the beautiful galas and the beautiful dinners. Those are three things that are maybe easy to digest, not so hard to process. Welcome to Uncultured Bias Podcast. My name is Kamara Williams. I am your host. That was an extended opening on our show. We say that culture is a matter of perspective and opinion. After all, culture is another way to say discovered. We are uncultured, we are biased, and we are black. If you're tuning in for the first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're not tuning in for the first time, thank you for returning. Um, obviously, we ask those who are listening to podcasts to, uh, if you're listening on Apple, to rate the podcast uh, with a five-star rating and leave a commentary. It's a way for the Apple to judge algorithms and obviously, and obviously engagement. Uh, we want to give a shout-out to our sponsors this week, uh, Coleman Law. You can reach them at 850-597-2990. Um, they operate in business and tax. Um, if you're in the market for real estate, please contact Keystone Global Real Estate at 407-680-8510 or keystoneglobalrealestate.com. And if you're in the market for probates, guardianships, wills, trusts, and all that fun stuff, contact my firm, Smith & Williams Trial Group, 888-798-4529 or 888-SWTGLaw. Of course, info at SWGLaw or Williams at SWGLaw. Now, last week I talked about patriarchy, you know, I, I just talked about patriarchy. And actually, speaking of which, I actually participated in patriarchy because I was at, myself asked to comment on Roe v. Wade's decision. And upon me showing up the studio, I noticed no women were um, there to comment. And so, therefore, I wanted to highlight the hypocrisy of me being a man commenting on another man's decision to prohibit women's rights. I recognize a patriarchal privilege in my position, and therefore I said, you know what, I'm going to do a podcast, and I'm going to have women speak on these women's issues. And I couldn't think of a better time than to uh, invite uh, my people, uh, three dynamic women, uh, three three of the hard way. You know, they're going to you know spit some you know, uh, discourse about social or you know information. And uh, I'm going to start off with uh, Rebecca. Are you with me? Hi, everyone. My name is Rebecca Desir, founder of Black Health Commission. It really is an honor to be here with you, Kamara. Um, you know, I, I have over 10 years of experience in public health field. And it, again, it's really an honor to be um, part of this conversation with Jasmine as well as uh, Representative Rayner. Right. And you are the executive director of the Black Health Commission. Um, Correct. Yes. And so you're going to help us talk through some you know, what are the, I guess, the subjects or misconceptions surrounding, you know, maybe black health or just this entire ruling, hopefully. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to go to next to Jasmine Bernie Clark, my friend. Um, how are you doing, Jazz? I'm well. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. All right. Now, Jasmine, good. you are, I, I don't want to tell you thunder. You can go ahead and introduce yourself because, you know, you've been on MSNBC. Certainly. So, 
I'm Jasmine Bernie-Clark, founder and consulting director of Equal Ground. We are a Black-led, community-centered organization that works to prioritize the voting rights of Black Floridians across the state of Florida. Um, we know that voting isn't alone going to save us, but we do understand that it is a pathway um, and an avenue to what we believe could be victory um, if we utilize that as a tool in our toolbox. So thank you so much for having me today. No, I appreciate you. And uh, now we got a special guest, you know, uh, superstar, trying to get her on, you know, <laughs> Rep, Rep Michelle Rayner, my, my friend, you know, my petty friend, <laughs> my text message petty friend, Rep Rayner. <laughs> Oh, whatever, man. You first off, you know where to find me. <laughs> and we were supposed to do this podcast a long time ago. Yeah. But we're here now. We're here now. Hi, everyone. My name is Michelle Rayner. I am, in fact, a state representative here in Florida. I am running for Congress as well. Um, I feel like the earth is a little ghetto sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know that y'all know that viral TikTok song? Well, anyway. Mm -hmm. Well, um, and then so I'm here. Because I know we got some folks on here who can't be partisan. I'm here to be partisan. So um, <laughs> I will provide your entertainment, much to the chagrin of my uh, political team. Uh, Thanks for having me, Tara. I no, feel honored that you invited little old me. No, first of all, you know, it's interesting because uh, Jazz and uh, Rep Rayner, um, I have a weird tie in on this pod for this podcast because Jazz is actually the first guest I had on this podcast. And yeah, and she was she had to replace you because last year you were you were dealing with obviously the grief of your father still grieving obviously, and so you know Jazz jumped in and provided the assist, and so you know it's cool to have you guys back on and everything turned God. yeah everything uh, ties back into one another. So um, I appreciate you all three of you guys to to jump on this pod. Um, actually, I want to start with, you know, not leaning into the political. I want to start actually with um, Rebecca and just talk about not only your reaction to the ruling and we'll get into like the policy and voting and all that. But I want to get not only your, your reaction to the ruling and then what did you take from that, given your experience and your position? My initial reaction, I was just a little bothered by it, um, knowing and understanding that abortion um, should not be something that is um, controlled by politicians. Um, this is something that should be a right to um, anyone who is capable of bearing children, um, that they can make the choice to have that child or not, despite whatever the reason is. I think um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of controversy when you when you talk about abortion, there's a lot of stigma there. So um, this is now kind of bringing the community, all communities together to kind of talk about this. So um, from my perspective, it's really um, the fact that abortion is health care. It's something that everyone should have um, equal access to and be able to um choose to um, get abortion if they if they feel like that's what's best for them that's my stance on it yeah yeah um so you know just keeping with that i know you said abortion is health care i kind of have this thought process it's it's it, it is health care but it's also uh and now it's rep Rainer's, uh uh <laughs> pet making uh joining the pod but 
I um I also think it's like really like human care as far as societal and economics, right? Because a lot of times people make these decisions uh, not because they're like as they've been portrayed as these evil, vindictive people that you know want to get rid of human life, but it's these are hard decisions for women, and they're they come into health decisions and they come into financial decisions or just societal like I'm not ready, like I'm just not ready to have a child, and I don't want to be bring a child into a world where. I'm not ready to have one to properly care for. Exactly. It's really a personal decision. Um, it, it really doesn't matter what the decision, um, why they choose to make that decision. But right. when we're coming from a um, public health perspective, I mean, there are d- those different factors that impact someone's health and the weathering um, on our bodies just by the um discrimination, microaggressions, all of these things already impacting our bodies um, as black individuals in America. So when you talk about, you know, access to healthcare, access to abortion, whatever it is, um, I think that just adds another layer to it and adds another barrier to a group of individuals that already are facing um, health disparities. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, there is definitely a a different, um, in the black community between health, access to health care, access to multitude of services um, that, you know, people always think like Planned Parenthood is just about uh, abortion. And it's like not. It's like about women's care. It's like it's there's a lot that they do. And there's other organizations, just not Planned Parenthood, um, but they offer a multitude of women's uh, women's services that far exceed just abortion. Right. And when you're attacking these things, you're really just attacking the the healthcare women, and if you see Planned Parenthood is often within the black neighborhood. I know these anti these uh, abortion advocates or anti abortion advocates. Always say, oh, they're all in the black community, you know. But it's like, well, because it's access to services that a lot of times people in that community don't really uh, don't have the ability to go through. So, um, yeah. So, I, oh, Jazz, I wanted to get your opinion on just the decision from the uh, Supreme Court, and I, and you know, you color it with the idea of how did we even get here as far as like, you know, the buildup to all this as far as on the, I, don't, I guess I don't want to say, I guess the judicial activism or the voting mm-hmm. activism, like what, I mean, anyway, just some of your thoughts. So I thought that my initial reaction was that this is horrifying, right. you know, to learn that this is the decision of the court and that, they are getting ready to set back 50 years of what is determined to be settled law, uh, turning the hands of time back and doing it because of the shift in direction in the makeup of the court um, and the way that they are choosing to interpret the Constitution. So for 50 years, we have had a um, justice system, a Supreme Court justice who have had the hands turned, um, who have seen the um, lever, if you will, go back and forth when it comes to who's in power. And we have not seen this. We've seen threats towards Roe v. Wade, but we have never seen a step like this be taken. We have seen, however, states choose to make their own decisions about um you know, abortion as it relates to what they have within their purview to limit access as much as possible under the guise of um, Roe v. Wade, but still allowing women 
uh, to have access, but at the very minimal or least amount of time that they are willing to give to women in states. Um, and so, again, my my initial reaction was that it was a horrifying one um, and very worried, very scared, not just for women who are choosing to have an abortion, but also for folks who um, utilize services at Planned Parenthood that are not just women, but trans and non-binary folks who get support from um, facilities like that. And, and, and so it is important that these facilities obviously be viewed as just as healthcare, not just as abortion clinics um, that they have been um, sort of told or um, viewed for us in the past. They have evolved with the services. Right. Um, the other thing that I would say uh, about how you know we got to this point again is that we have been teetering on the line. Um, there have been threats to this issue for so long. It goes back to your initial comments about control and control over women. Um, women have always been the subject of a judicial system and or state governments that take away our power and ability to make choices for ourselves. So this is not new. This is not new for any woman who is experiencing um, any effects from this right now. Um, but what I think is new is the type of leaders who are now being led to um, to draw these these laws or create these laws um, and author them in a way that just feels much more malicious than it has in the past. Um, there is a new crop of uh, men who are operating um, in a way that is harmful and is dangerous yeah. um, to our communities. And they not only have control over our bodies, but they've got control over our children, men in our state. Um, you know, they've got control over every aspect of our life, not just over women's bodies. Women's bodies just seem to be the hot topic um, of this moment. Right. Um, but but there is more to come from from this from these people. And so we should be aware that it isn't just this issue. It is just the latest issue that we are grappling with. Yeah. I kind of want to, um, I, I want to get into that in a moment because I do want to talk about this thing where it seems like society has really, especially surrounding men and just really just this idea of controlling. Right. It's, and it's, it, you said something very poignant. It's just, not, it, it, women are the right now it's a subject. But it's not, there's not a rooted issue. The root issue is like really control. Like they want to control education. They want to control, mm -hmm. they want to tr control how you, how you, um, you know, uh, speak in society. What can you yeah. say? You know, if you're a private corporation, uh, they want to control, you know, uh, obviously what you learn um, and <laughs> you want to control your religion, right? And so, and control how you vote. And, and obviously yep. they want to control women's bodies. So like there's a, there's something deep-seated that I really want to touch into that in a second. But before we get into that, I want to ask Rep. Rayner, um, just on the politics side of it, like, I mean, if you want to talk about what I just mentioned or you want to just lean into, like, just the politics side of it, like, what did you glean from what happened last week? 
Yeah. So I will tell you, um, I, I don't think that we can separate politics from the point that I think Jasmine just made. You know, when we were dealing with our own abortion ban bill in the state of Florida during legislative session, one of the very things that I talked about is the history of Black women's bodies being chained to this country for commodification. There has never been a time in American history where Black women have been able to have self-determination about their own body, um, whether it's been through slavery, whether it's been through Jim Crow, whether it's been through um, economic challenges, whether it's been through the court system with dependency, whether um, motherhood has been criminalized. There's never really been a time that I know of. And if someone else knows of one, you know, um, obviously we have someone that is in Black health here. So I know that uh, they are the expert, but I, I think that most of us would agree that at every turn since the inception of this country, Black women's bodies have not been their own to make decisions. And so while we're looking at the holistic idea of women, we all know on this podcast that it's going to be Black and brown women and poor women who are going to be the most harmed. Because at the end of the day, and I've said this publicly, I've said it at the Capitol, I've said it, uh, you know, on other, uh, you know, platforms, you know, these white men, these white Republican men, they're going to make sure that their wives and their mistresses and their daughters right. will have abortions. Absolutely. They'll make sure, and they're, they're doing it now, they'll make sure that that can happen. Mm -hmm. So once again, it is a way for them to a as as uh, Jasmine indicated uh, control control people, and it's all political because really it comes down to I believe a lot of uh, several things, but one the othering that they have been doing, the fear mongering, and the and they're scared of the browning of America. And I think that the only way they feel that they can keep their you know majority or supremacy is to. Um, essentially control. So all of this, while we understand the psychological and the social historical aspect, it is intersected with the political mindset and the political avenue that we're in in this moment. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's fascinating uh, as you were talking and I was thinking about um, what both uh, Jasmine and Rebecca were saying. Um, I really thought about this thing of economic class. It's really a class issue, right? Because you just, you said it so eloquently that, um, and I, these men are not going to have to worry about getting abortions because they're going to find a way. Right. And you're, they're going <laughs> to, they're going to hop on the planes and go to a state or go to another country if they have to and get it done because they're not going to allow it to like fuck up their life. Right. And so it's going to be something to where it's all a class issue. Um, and it's all economics. And I always think about every, I always look at Every instinct of how people operate, especially in society and politics, okay, what I, I feel like race, I always try to divide through the prism of race and class. And then there are times when they intersect, you know, a lot of times they intersect and just like just right now. But I really do feel like that's the thing that people are not talking about is how the economics behind this decision and what they're trying to imply and what and how they're trying to subjugate. We talked about with voting and we'll get into that. Um, in, in a moment, but um, just really subjugating people to a certain class sector through this decision and economics and saying, listen, we're going to let the states deal with it. And we obviously know black people with our history dealing with states' rights and how that affects, you know, us. We're like, oh, that can't be good, especially if you live in the South. That can't be good, right? And so um, really just fascinating on the, the subject of class and, and, and economics. I mean, Rebecca, do you have any thoughts on that or anybody really? But I, I don't know if anybody wants to jump in or chime in. 
I can jump in here and say that the reason why we are probably not hearing conversations about race and class is because this movement is centered around white women, Mm. Um, no matter what side of the political aisle you sit on, white women are the face. White women have been nurtured and cared for and will continue to be, and they have been well-resourced to quickly activate themselves around this issue and to mobilize and to have conversations that center them and that center their priorities. I know Rebecca is a great example of what it's like to be um, tokenized in this moment um, when the news story broke you know, she was pulled in a hundred different directions because they knew that women of color needed to be a priority and needed to be centered, but they didn't have any of those women Mm -hmm. because they had not been talking to those women. They had not been cultivating relationships. We've been dealing with abortion bans since January here in the state of Florida, and they have not been prioritizing black women in those movements and in those conversations. And so you find your one in each of your cities and we use that story and recycle it over and over over again, but we aren't talking to poor women who are poor black and brown women who are in communities who are being affected by this. And it may not be not because they don't want to tell their story. No one's asking them about their story. Right. No one is, you know, having conversations with them about this or no one is sitting down and listening and seeking out um, individuals to you don't even have to I think you don't even have to tell your story. I think folks just need to see and know that you are prioritized and need to be centered in this conversation because every state in the South is not going to have an abortion option, like every state in the South, which means going to the North um, East or the Midwest is just going to make it impossible to access these services moving forward. Right. I've actually been, I'm sorry. No, yeah. I'm going to Rebecca, I want you to jump in. I just want to say this. I've actually been in communities where kids or adults be like, I've never left the state of Florida. Because I'm like, I like they're like I've never left the state of Florida, and you were like, wait, what? Because you know, you realize your privilege. You were like, oh snap, not that's- just Florida, yeah, your neighborhood, neighborhood, the neighborhood, the city. Yeah, I did that. Said I've never been to the beach. I live on right. the west coast of Florida. Right. Yeah, and so like people often forget that people are segmented based on their you know their uh, um, finances and exposure. You know, um, right. You know, so Rebecca, go ahead and if you I see you want to chime in here. Yeah, I just wanted to add to that, Jasmine. Thank you so much for highlighting the tokenism when it comes to this space, as well as other um, topics that um, can be controversial. Um, You know, with over 50% of the Black population living in the South states, I think this is just going to be an issue moving forward, um, not just for, you know, health, but even the economic, the race, the classism, all of that plays a part in a lot of times, you know, I have to check my privilege um, because we all have it. You know, we all have to understand that we come into these spaces with a privilege, whether it is our um, social status or the positions that we hold. Um, And I think that's how it's just easy to point a Rebecca out and say that, oh, you can speak on this matter. But I think sometimes it's, it's important to when we are, you know, having these these discussions and um, activating some community engagements to uh, to make sure that we are um, including the communities in these conversations and hearing what 
they are saying which are the uh, barriers because sometimes we may be a little far removed from those situations and not really um, understanding like what the current situation is. Cause I know for us, I know for me particularly, you know, I'm more of a data person. I read a lot of research. So it takes um, us to be intentional to hear what our community members are saying and how can we, um, you know, be an ally and help them with this um, with not only with the abortion rights, but even um, any other topic. I want to, um, I want Rep. Rainer to jump in here uh, just uh, real quick. I just want to say, though, I, I can imagine it's hard, you know, especially for um, both Jasmine and, and you, Rebecca, like you guys operate on a state level to where you're in committee, you're in rooms and committee meetings. And it's like you probably look around and you're like, damn, like, <laughs> where are we? You know, and you often have to be the voice and or the representative and you hate I know what it's like because ha- I've been in those rooms as a I'm not comparing myself but I'm saying like when you're like you look around you're like there ain't nobody here that looks like me oh so now I got I have to like speak up on behalf of black people you know <laughs> because clearly nobody else is going to speak up on behalf of black people here um so I can know as a just on the twofold for being a black woman and just and me being a woman and a and a black person it's can be uh, a little hard sometimes to be in that space am I am I Am I projecting or do is am I right about that? You're correct. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I even though it wasn't towards me, but yeah. I have been in those moments as well. Yeah. So, so yeah, but yeah, go rep. I, I want you to uh I call you rep. Yeah. Okay, you know, hold up. I say rep on this pod and then I really want to say Michelle. <laughs> you can. It's fine. That's yeah. my name. Yeah, like my mom I'm, and my daddy name. All right, I'm fine. gonna say Michelle, because you know I don't oh, Liz, it's fine. But yeah. plus one to what Jasmine said, plus one to what Rebecca said. Um, and I think like if you see me when I talk anything, when I'm it, so I sit on health and human services in the Florida House, I sit on professions in public health, which so I saw the abortion ban twice. And so when I sit on those, those those are two of the committees I sit on, but specifically when we're talking about health equity and when we're talking about health and access to care, I always center Black women because that has never been centered in these conversations. I always start with, you know, I'm, you know, when I did my debate on um, on the abortion ban, I was like, I'm going to center this in reproductive justice. And I talked about the history of reproductive justice, how it was a, how it was, you know, coined and it's a, by black women and it, it's, it's been a movement by black women. So for me, it is, you know, to Jasmine's point, you like, I was catching the Holy ghost because even, you know, the other day when I organized a rapid response rally, like I can count on my hands how many black women were out there, but it was a bunch of white women and they were activated. And so when I'm thinking about how we discuss and how do we talk about abortion, I'm always wanting to loop in folks like Rebecca and other people who are in this space because this is the black folks have abortions too, but you also know because of Jesus and all those other things, we don't want to talk about it and we can't talk about it. And Rebecca, I saw you jump in. Hold on. Go ahead, Rebecca. No, I I mean, as soon as I I pointed my hand up, um, you you said exactly what I was going to say, because I think there's a there's a stigma behind abortion and within our community. You know, religion is pretty much the focal point in a lot of our homes. And so even being as open to talk about abortion rights, um, I'm a pastor's kid. So when my dad hears that I'm talking about this openly and he's just like, what? You better not say anything. And I'm just like. 
that this is where I'm at in life. This is what I, I, I believe in. I feel like everyone should have the choice regardless of their religious um, view. And again, I think that's a constant conversation in our community is how do we combat, not even combat, but how do we present this information in a way that our folks can digest it and be mm-hmm. open to talk about it openly. I think um, I think it's just amazing that we as four Black individuals are openly talking about this. So I hope this will continue the conversation and people will feel more comfortable. I think, again, to your point, it's that stigma. 100%. Mm-hmm. At, we at our rally, my sorority sister, shout out to Delta Sigma Fave Sorority Incorporated. Oops, sorry, Jess. Um, and, but um, she, she spoke and she's a black woman that's an abortion provider. And I didn't realize that she uh, was an abortion provider. And so my eyes like were wide because I mean, I'm 40 years old. I have never met a black abortion provider in the South. Mm. And I'm like blowed. I'm, I literally the whole time was like, I didn't even know this. I knew you were a doctor. I just, I didn't know what you did. And, you know, and I remember growing up, my mom is a social worker, also my sore, my mom is a social worker and was, you know, she would have conversations in the church of like, we need to make sure that we're supplying condoms and we need to make sure that we're talking to kids about sex. Oh, you can't talk about that because you're not supposed to have sex. And my mom was like, yeah, I get it. But people are having sex. So we have to have those conversations. But to your point, we would like try to put Jesus on so much of it, but not also live in the real world of what's happening. You know, it's weird. Uh, I'm sorry. Go, go jazz. Go ahead. Yeah. I can just add to that a little bit because Rebecca is a pastor's child and I'm a pastor's wife. Yeah. yeah. And um, a lot of people don't actually know that. Um, And so, you know, when, the abortion ban conversation started up this year. I was like, oh, do I want to tip my toe in it? Do I not? Do it, you know, should I be? And I'm like, no, I have to amplify messages and stories and spread information um, that our community needs to have access to. Because I know a lot of folks follow me in different spaces and are probably looking for my, you know, um, words of advice or commentary on a lot of different things. So I just... I, I chose to not sit silent and not say anything about this issue because I don't have a choice not to. It is paramount to be able to do that. We work with a network of pastors. And one of the pastors said this week in a um, conversation after the it, it wasn't a space where we were prioritizing um, abortion issues. It just so happened that the meeting took place right after the announcement. And, and we posted this on our social today, but it said, if God gives us the choice of salvation, then a woman should have the right to choose. And that was so important, I think, for us, because that leaves everybody out of the decision. That is you and God at this point. Everybody else should have nothing else to say. Politicians, pastors or anybody else connected to it. It's between you and God. That's it. That is, that is your decision to make. And I just said, that's it. That's how we talk about it. But the other way we also talk about it in our community is the cost of childcare, the cost of diapers, the cost of formula. Like there is an expense, no matter how you look at it, an expense of a person, or there are tangible things that are needed to ensure that a child survives on this planet. And how are we showing up, whether they choose Whatever the choice is that they decide to make, how are we, how is the community, how is the church showing up if we are so um, 
if, if we are if we are so deeply affected by a woman's choice to have an abortion, are we also so deeply affected and impacted by how that child survives in our community as well? So I, I that's um, first of all that was amazing. Uh, if there was, if there was a, uh, if we were in a in a uh, club and poetry with like snapping fingers and all that, right? Yeah. So, uh, but I have this philosophical thought question, and you know, Jazz, Rebecca. Michelle, you guys can jump in on here, but how do we reconcile black faith with, you know, black reality? And so, like, that is a very, it's, like, really weird sometimes because you, especially when you, the black church, you know the history, and you guys know the history of black church because two of you are, you know, interpersonally uh, connected to it. But obviously the black church has had such an indelible effect on um activism within politics right but then as politics has grown and has evolved it's like sometimes i wonder as the has the black church like failed to evolve where it has devolved right because these issues that are affecting black people and not we're just talking about abortion we're just talking about how do we communicate messaging how do we communicate activism like what do we how do we engage and you know um, and I definitely want to talk about engagement of black voters, you know, in the second part of this pod. But like, how do we, how do we reconcile these things of, of black realism and black faith? You know, Rebecca, I know you're holding your. <laughs> can, can I, can I? So my grandfather was a bishop. OK, my mother was a church mother. I grew up in the Church of God in Christ, have my evangelism license from the Church of God in Christ. They probably have snatched it. Yeah. I am a black <laughs> I am a black queer woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And but I remember the one thing my mother would always say, you've got to know Jesus for yourself. Right. Right. And so for me, you've got to know God for yourself. Right. And so there is a God of my childhood that I don't necessarily ascribe to because I was taught that guy, like my, my father was like, we couldn't play marbles because the Bible says marvel not. And it right. says marvel, not marble, but right. you know, black people, I love us. But right. so you've got to know the book, the book for yourself. And for me, you know, my book is the Bible, it's Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I've had to make peace with that. And I think that you see folks of our generation and younger, you know, making peace with it. I mean, it's because here's the reality. It's like when Samuel Alito was like, yes, you know, the everything should be like the constitution of 1775 or whatever. Like that's not reality. Like we live in 2022. Right. There are things that the Bible does not speak about that we are experiencing right in this moment. So how do you use faith as a way of, uh, understanding as a way of getting wisdom as a way of being able to make decisions and i think that that goes with the argument of it taking it literally versus actually the practical application to your life so for me as how i show up as a woman of faith as someone that can preach down and pray down jasmine was on a call when i prayed she was like (laughs) ma'am and we'll speak in tongues in a minute I know that I know God for myself. And so I, I, and I think that, but in, in the church, we have to, and some churches are, but we have to start having these difficult 
conversations. Um, and someone just sent me a video of uh, E. Dewey Smith when he was like, listen, y'all don't want gays in the church, then stop singing songs that uh, on Sunday that gay people have written, that you won't have any songs to minister to. And he said the same. You've got to know Jesus. You've got to know God for yourself. So that's how I think if we start having these kind of conversations, like really, then that to me, how you deal with black faith and black reality. I will also let the pastor's child and wife jump in on that. Rebecca, <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I I love what you said, um, Shell. I think that that kind of hits home for me as well. My mom would always tell me, you know, as you go out in the world, you know, make sure that you build your own relationship with God, whatever that looks like. And, um, you know, you, you are an adult now. So, um, what I've seen, um, especially in our generation, a lot of people have strayed away from religion and now focusing more on spiritualism and seeing how that kind of plays a part. Um, and that kind of makes it, different like I feel like our culture is shifting a little bit from the church like not as much as before where everyone was going to church I mean most of the time here most people are going to brunch on Sunday and not really you know the church so I think there is a culture shift that's happening but to your point um I think it's having those leaders, leaders, those champions in the inside, um, like a Jasmine who is open and is and is leading by example. Like she's, you're the epitome of what it, what it looks like to be a woman of faith, being a first lady, and also doing the work in the community on topics that most people don't want to talk about. So I think being those uh, that champion in those spaces and identifying others who can be champions in the churches that can um, kind of facilitate that conversation, I think that's a, a, a sure way to start that conversation. And I feel like um, within the Black community, politics is typically something that is not openly discussed either and not realizing that how politics can it really impact so many different levels of our lives. And we really have to kind of dive a little bit deeper and um, educate um, folks where they are to help them understand how politics and how these conversations can really impact their lives and have a domino effect. Um, so it's not just one issue we're talking about. We're, we're talking, I mean, we already just talked about how economics is now involved in this conversation and all these other things. But I think that that's something that we, um, who kind of understand that piece, how we can kind of bring that in the conversation as well. Mm-hmm. I also believe that a reckoning is when we decide not to allow the church to have or own this conversation. That is also an institution ran by men. So we can't just talk about white men running their governmental institutions. We have to talk about the black men who are running the church, which is another institution where in some cases women are not even allowed to step foot in a pulpit. And so if that is the case, you can't also tell me what to do with my body either. Um, and so if we're going to fight like hell against a governmental agency, we also need to ensure that the men who are leading us and our souls to Christ understand and know that they should be protecting, not fighting us on an issue like this. Mm. Um, I said it already before, prepare yourselves for either a living mechanism or non, but d- 
I, I don't think we leave it into their hands to decide how we have this conversation. We tell them how this conversation is actually going to happen and how they should be centering us in this conversation as well. Um, again, because we can't just be focused on one institution and not the other. Yeah. So that is all I'll say and yeah. echoing the same things that have already been said. Yeah. You know, it's it's fascinating because mo- I think most people would rec- understand or they would agree rather that faith is a private walk, you know, and it's fascinating that we acknowledge that faith is a private walk and yet we use it to bludgeon people publicly into, you know, private decisions you know what i mean like it's weird like we on the one talking out of both sides of our mouth and like for those who represent the christian christian orthodoxy it's like you know you can't serve two masters right so if you understand that faith is a private conversation a private walk a private vehicle you know to you and your creator then how can you take that vehicle and try to run somebody over you know, into your way of think, your dogma of thinking. And it's odd that, you know, nobody challenges that or not enough people challenge that enough. And I, Jasmine, you said something really fascinating and I'm probably going to, as the sole black male on this podcast, but I'm willing to take the arrows. Uh, let's talk about black men and how they adhere to patri- patri- white patriarchy in society in the subjug- subjugation of uh, black women, you know, in this discussion. Right. Um, it's it's a reality that we don't talk about, but, you know, black men and it's growing by the day. Jasmine, you see the numbers every political cycle. Black men are getting picked off like, you know, I don't like weeds in the, in, in the field um, by Republican, um, you know, ideology and adhering to patriarchy and you know, um, all the other, you know, prohibiting things of growth. So, I mean, I don't, Jasmine, you want to speak on it? Or maybe Michelle, I see, I know you, I don't know, whoever want to jump on it. If you want to attack me, yeah. you attack me, I'm, you know, I'm just, you know, it's whatever. Yeah, it is tricky, you know. Um, they are also a uh, subset of individuals who have not been centered either. They have not been nurtured properly, but they are resonating or they are, yes, they're resonating with messages from um, a conservative lens, if you will, of policies that um, are harmful to us. And it is hard to witness, but how do we reckon with it when there isn't an alternative we can also present to them? Um, the other thing I will say is specifically about black men as it relates to the issue of abortion is that they also benefit from this, um, the system, um, as well when, you know, you make decisions, um, there is a known solution to that decision, whether it is an abortion plan B or any other sort of, um, family planning options that are out there. I do believe that this is an issue that we will start to see black men lean a bit more into when they do see how it impacts them when this option is also ripped away, because it is not only an option for women, it is an option for them as well. And um, although it may in some cases be, you know, deemed as a is one that is a choice that they are making for on behalf of other women. Um, And I know we're getting into some territory here, but 
I do think that this is one that will awaken um, them around how they uh, view their politics um, you know, as we go into this upcoming cycle. So, okay. So let's, let's walk in. So we're going, okay, I'm sorry, Michelle, go ahead. Say it. What do you want to say? I be, like, how transparent can I be? Like how real? Uh, can I be? You can be like, we're on our text messages and we're, we're being super ugly. Okay. <laughs> I super ugly. So I will say this. White supremacy is a disease that affects us all. I was getting rid of it. I knew, I knew you were going to go ahead. I, I literally knew you were going to go ahead. But please go ahead. Continue. We've had this conversation. Yeah. We all have to divest ourselves from white supremacy every day. Mm-hmm. And black men, sometimes, not all, and I love black men. I have a, I have a black father, a black brother, a black uh, uh, nephew, a black father-in-law. Sometimes black men will aspire to be white men because of the disease of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And they will do things and act in ways that will put them in closer proximity to whiteness, thinking that that whiteness is safety and that they've made it and that they won't be harmed or whatever, because that's the psychology that we've all grown up with. And that's why we always every day have to divest from it. And because we know there's a proximity to whiteness and white supremacy that does not keep us safe. We know that, but that's the psychology that we have. So when we think about black men in this conversation and where they come up um, and how they look when it comes to speaking about women and women's bodies and why they are so easily picked off by, um, you know, Republican ideology. And I had a friend talk about this. uh, I feel like, Kamara, we've talked about this, but I had a friend who, um, worked with athlete who works with athletes he works he's a lawyer for joe briggs he's a lawyer for the um nfl nfl uh players union Mm -hmm. and he talks about how uh, sometimes especially with these younger black men that play football maybe not have a strong father figure their their white coaches their father figure so their white coaches like jesus Mm -hmm. and the wife and become a republican and that's how you be safe and that's how you are um um, you know, respected and that's how you will be set up. So I think that we have to have a conversation about what divestment for black folks looks like from white supremacy, because we have a lot of black people, men and women, non-binary folks, trans folks that want to be white people, well, period. Yeah. Listen, let me, I'll just say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt your flow. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Fine, you're fine. I'm done. I, I say what I needed to say, yeah. Lord. I know my team is probably like, "You're running for Congress. What are you doing?" Well, no, no, because the reality is, and we have spoken about this, and I'll just I'll lay it out flat. Um, you know, there's a show, um, Dave Chappelle show, and he had a sketch with Rick James, and when it was James, you know, it was like uh, cocaine's a hell of a drug, and so I always say that white supremacy, cocaine, are two the same, one and the same, because it's very addictive and it's very destructive. And, you know, for black men, we, you know, in danger of, because we're surrounded by it, we inject it into our systems and it's addicting to, it's easy to fall back into um, wanting to appease or, you know, feed that hunger of, you know, wanting to be a part of the system or white, um, you know, be white adjacent. And power is part of white supremacy. And black men, because we 
often have been subjugated to, you know, being um, less than or, or commoditized or even like sexualized in, in our in our black bodies and our lack of, in, you know, uh, um, intuitiveness and whatnot, that when we get this taste of white supremacy, you know, of white power, we want to, you know, enrapture ourselves within it. And it becomes addicting to where we like, we recognize and be like, oh, I want some more of that. And then we don't understand that it's destructive to the body. And by the body, I mean the, the black community. And, you know, and so, you know, I'm sorry to talk so theoretically in this, but, you know, I, I tend to look at things in this, in this, you know, theoretical lens always. And that's the way I see, um, you know, white supremacy and especially with black men. And the problem I see now is that it's infected us so much that it's going to be a power play in 2022 elections Um, and going on beyond, especially in this state. Um, You know, Jasmine, I don't know if you want to talk about it as far as just like engagement. And I know you talked a little bit about black men and messaging, but I, 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 no, I actually, you know, I actually don't. Um, I, I, I want to get back to um, the fact that we are not prioritizing women in the conversation anymore. Oh, I'm sorry. We shifted. Okay. I would, okay. All right. I'm sorry. But I think that you need to do a part two where we do segment this conversation out as an extension of what we are experiencing on a national level when it comes to white supremacy, conservative white men and the institutions that are attracting them more and more um, to how they are impacting us um, as a result. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, So, all right, let's keeping with this uh, centering uh, women on the conversation. And I, I, it's weird because I I need someone to center black women, but, um, you got, you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation about white women and they are being centered within the conversation of this particular um, new political controversy or whatnot and going to the rallies and you've seen nothing but a sea of white women with the pink hats and rallying. And I say all that to say, I was fascinated on Twitter uh, because I was, saw this thing where, <laughs> and to see if you can follow my train of thought, I saw this thing where like, oh no, we're going to be, women are going to be so engaged. We're going to be, you know, we're taking over the, we're going to take over 2022 and all this other stuff. And I was like, that's interesting. Um, for two reasons. Number one, black women voted at, you know, at the highest, <laughs> voted the highest numbers of any demographic. Um, and then it was white women in both elections that, you know, voted for patriarchy over person. And so what exactly, what is this number that is going to be, you know, shown in 2022. Like, black women, there's there's not much more they can do to deliver um, this, this country, you know, past itself. Like, I don't understand. Like, it's like squeezing juice from a turnip at this point. Like, I don't know what they're expecting, you know, and how they're expecting to really, um, like, push this conversation forward or engagement. I don't, I don't know. Or maybe I'm being ignorant, but I don't understand, like, where this engagement is going to come from unless it's going to it's going to come from white women owning their own shit because black women have already taken on the taken on the water and the burden of this democracy am i tripping here or do you guys follow my train of thought anybody bueller i'm sorry everybody's on mute <laughs> i'm going to let i'm going to pivot to jazz or rebecca and then i will hop in and add my 
Um, thoughts? Okay. Um, so I would say um, that your train of thought is not incorrect. Um, you again, I I said that white women have been nurtured and cared for. They have been um, led to the water. Hands have been held um, through this process, and I don't know when or where or how that shift sort of took place where it did become predominantly a white woman's issue. Um, and it never, I think, crossed over into the community where women of color um, were prioritized or centered. I just don't know where we, where they have done um, sort of a disservice at on that particular issue. Um, but I will say that it is hard to witness, hard to watch. It also boils down to, I think for me, when we have so many issues that we are at the center of and there is there are not white women who are standing in alignment with us and or are um, holding our hands and nurturing and being supportive and amplifying um, it, it just makes it difficult to lock arms um, on this issue, despite how important it is. So we think, in my opinion, they should be leading, putting your bodies on the line, and we will show up the way that we think we know how and what is best to be able to do that. But um, we, I think white women need to realize that there are more issues than just abortion um, that we should be tackling right now. All of the issues are interconnected and intersect, and it, it would be great for them to realize and recognize that in this fight that we're in, because again, it is abortion today, but it could be gay marriage tomorrow. It could be, well, it's already loss of representation for black communities in the South through a redistricting process that I'm going to keep talking about. Um, and you, you look around and can find nobody. Um, so, so that is what I would say, um, as it relates to the, the commentary you just provided. Okay. Um, I want to get into that redistricting in a moment and how it ties into all of this. Uh, uh, Rebecca, do you have any thoughts about the, what is brought up? Yeah. Um, I kind of just want to add to what Jasmine said and, um, you know, when the laws were passed in Texas and then later on in, um, Florida and, you know, all these other um, like like-minded um, laws have been brought up to the legislative sessions um, on Twitter and Instagram. There were all these types of memes of white women comparing it to that novel, The Handmaid's Tale. So I don't know if you all are familiar with that yeah. um, on Hulu, but you know, to me, that was just such a <laughs> it was such an obvious moment as to how there there is a disconnect between the movements of white feminism and womanism, which is what Alice uh, Walker coined. Um, you know, it's, it's just, again, to Jasmine's point, is realizing that this is not um, something that we can be always in the forefront of talking about it and raise, um, amplifying our community's voices, but um if you are a true ally in this space is even when we're not in the room, bringing up the issues that impact our communities, because I feel like as black women, we stand in other pockets and speak to 
um, other, you know, in other communities or other um, issues that don't directly impact us per se, but just being um, the type of people that we are, we're in these rooms just trying to address it. So again, going back to um, like how white feminism kind of plays a part into this and um, comparing it to the uh, hands made tale. I think that's pretty shocking um, that they, they, tend to do that especially even now like you kind of see that reoccurring meme coming around so again that, that disconnect well you know that um, and i'll let you uh, jump in in a second michelle i just want to uh, play into that a little bit it really shows how uh, media and culture and pop culture intersect in how people see the world right because the handmaid's tale is how people want to process what's happening in the world but it's very much as you said to, to your point white centered and it shows what happens when you don't have black stories, you know, in the popular, you know, um, conversation, right? Like, what do those black stories look like? I mean, I'm not saying there's not some interchangeability, black stories and, and, and The Handmaid's Tale. And I have, I, I've seen bits and pieces of the show, so I'm not even an expert, but I understand, the Im- you know, the imagery that you're associating with it. But I often think that's why it's important to have more black stories in popular culture, to really show, to have people pull from it. Um, and I know it doesn't seem interrelated, but it's related. Like, it's the reason why, you know, reason why a lot of white folks voted for um, Barack Obama is because they can, in a weird, weird way, they attributed his his being to black respectability of the Cosby show, right? Like, you saw, like, the way people kind of see imagery and align themselves, weirdly enough, to relating to something is through pop culture lens. And this is why we have to be important to push black stories in pop culture, because in a sick way, that's how they can, uh, they can interrelate with that. That's why they always go through music because that's why they feel like can relate to us. But like, that's just one spectrum of the black storyline. One scintilla of the black storyline is through and through a particular sector of music, we're talking about hip hop, right? Cause there's scores of different ways of black expression in the music form. Um, and so I just, I'm sorry to go on a little diatribe there, but I, I don't know. Um, I'm sorry, Rebecca, I didn't mean to step on that, your statement or anything like that. No, 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 no. You, you added to it. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, Rep, what, what you got? To say? I mean, I think that not just highlighting black stories, but I think that especially around this, this particular issue, you have to have black women leaders, mm-hmm. right? Black women elected, it, you know, that we say representation matters and it's not just like this cute cliche thing, but it really does matter when you're in tables and rooms that other folks may not have the opportunity to be in. And so for me, that's why I, in any debate, I always intersect and amplify Black women and what we, in our stories, you know, even when we're talking about, you know, trans women, I talked about trans, Black trans women, when we're talking about abortion, how it affects Black women, we're talking about food deserts, we're talking about education, because our stories are often left as afterthoughts, unless it's some white pro-lifer that wants to talk about, let's save the black babies, but then don't want to do anything for them when these black children are born. So for me, I think that not only do we have 
the stories, but we have to have Black leaders in all of these spaces, whether it's in the health space, whether it's in the C3, C4 space and political advocacy, whether it's in elected office, whether it's in you know policy work, you have to have Black voices, specifically Black women. And I'm telling you, for me, like I am tired. Like, I don't know about the rest of y'all. I am tired because I feel like it's, we are always charged with saving the world. Um, and to Jasmine's point earlier, when are y'all going to come stand with us? When are y'all going to come lock arms with us? When are y'all going to, you know, kick and scream and sit in when our people are dying, when Black representation is being cut in half when, um, you know, you can't even teach our history in school. Like, when are you going to care as much about us as we care about y'all? And um, Joan Morgan, she wrote um, of this book, When Chicken Heads Come Home to Roost. And it's like one of the, like, like, it's like the Black, young Black feminist, womanist, like, you know, manifesto. Um, and shout out to Joe Morgan. And she often talks about how Black women will always go up and stand up for everybody. But when it's time for folks to stand up for us, it's crickets. And to me, when we're thinking about Roe v. Wade and we're thinking about abortion rights, I will say this to my last breath, and I mean it, the most harmed people by a restriction on reproductive health, period, are Black women. No one else will be more harmed. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to hear a conversation that that's not centered about Black women when, with regards, especially with regard to this issue. No, facts. You know, and to that point, and, you know, Rebecca, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, you know, with Black women dying at a, on the, you know, uh, on the, on the table, on the, not table, but, you know, in the hospital bed delivering babies at a high propensity because, you know, black women in healthcare, um, they're often ignored with their requests, with their inquiries, and often it goes into the subject of, like, the strong black woman and, oh, you can handle it and whatnot. And the nurses, nurse practitioners, nurse assistants, doctors don't adhere to, to black women's pain. And then it transfers over into how um, when delivering these babies, and de delivery is already a life-threatening process. I know we've, we've, through modern technology, we've made it, in a smoother tr process, but it's a, it's a physically emotionally draining process. Having my, I've seen my wife go through it twice. Um, and it's very scary. It can be very scary. It's very tenuous, especially for both the child and, uh, uh, um, and the woman. And so, um, I can only imagine, you know, not having the privilege of me having my resources and black women having to go in there, you know, by themselves, without resources, without representation, and in, without a voice speaking to their pain. I mean, Rebecca, am I, am, am I off, off shoot here or what? Are you? No, you're not. But I do want to add that socioeconomic status um, does not change treatment right. for a lot of Black women, even if they go to the hospital with all the resources. Um, we have stories from Serena Williams and her um, how her experience was. And we know she has a bag, you know, like she is one of the most famous people in the world. And she shared her story and how that was traumatizing to her where 
they were not listening to her pain or how she was feeling with her body. Beyonce came out and said she had the same thing. So again, when we're talking about, you know, black maternal health, it's not a socioeconomic thing. It's that implicit bias that's there. It's the system that's, um, that has been designed against us. Um, that's what we're fighting against when we're going in that delivery room. So again, um, I just wanted to add add yeah. to that. Um, yeah. It's yeah, it's not. We can have all the resources and the money, but a lot of the times, it's it's things that are beyond our control. Fair enough. My bad. No doubt. Um, no. <laughs> and I that's why I don't mind being corrected on things, even on my own podcast, right? So um, I want to uh, shift the conversation to representation, and um, Jazz, you talked about it. Um, you know, redistricting and how it's fascinating to see the rise up of voices with this particular Roe v. Wade, but when it came to black representation in congressional districts and, you know, into voting rights, it was crickets, you know, um, from everywhere. And uh, do you want, uh, you want to speak to that and why and how, and what, what, like, what are your thoughts? Like, you know, what did you think about that? I try to do my best not to internalize how people show up on the different fights because everybody's got their issue. I actually, as a matter of fact, encourage people, identify the issue that you want to champion and become a leader there because we need your voice on so many different things, but identify one thing so that you're not overwhelmed with how you show up. Um, But I will say that just, you know, days prior, Um, we had a governor who completely cut 50% of representation in this state, um, black representation in this state and Congress, um, because he can and did so legally, um, despite us having a constitution that said otherwise. And thank God for members like Rep. Rayner and other legislative leaders who, Um, hosted a sit-in on the House floor and said, not on their watch, not on their time. This will not happen while they are in leadership. And, you know, white folks, conservatives scattered the room like roaches on the floor of the House, not trying to be associated with what was happening. And I wasn't there, so I don't know all of the specifics, but I know whose faces I did see. Um, And I'm pretty sure some people who are members of the Democratic Party who are going to be vying for our votes in our pulpits soon and at our community barbecues were also members who also scattered um, on that day as well. But I know who I did see in cameras on Tuesday night and Monday night and Wednesday um, across the state, everybody from every color. I saw black male reps standing up there with white women in their signs with their ovaries, dro- dr- you know, drawn on um, butcher paper. And I just thought that that was quite interesting um, to see that no one had to chase them down, work with schedulers, identify if they were available, hear the talking points. You didn't have any of the materials that were required of us as an organization to provide you. You were able to show up and talk immediately about this issue, but we got to pump and prime and, and massage and hand over. And is, does this feel right? Does it look right? How does it sound? How are you, how are you handling this before we can get you to speak up? 
um, on a, a particular issue. So I thank God for black women once again, because they are the ones who are holding the water on this issue um, in our state. And, and it is unfortunate. You know, uh, I'm going to, I want uh, you to jump in here in a, little, a bit, Michelle, but I just want to say uh, the silence um, from allies, black and, you know, white alike was deafening. Right. Um, it was really just fascinating. Uh, even when from myself, I'm not even in public office and I'm not, you know, in the space of organizing. Um, but when I would try to t- communicate to people about what's happening, be like, huh, what? And when I would communicate it, they'd be like, it's not a big deal, whatever. You know, and, and it's like, what? You know, it's like you, and it's even to some saying yeah, when, when black people get in office, they don't be doing nothing anyway. So it, they diminished the value of representation and it was like, it was not a big deal, but you're right. When it came to these issues, everybody had a megaphone and it was just like, (laughs) that's fascinating. (laughs) I was like, okay, you know? And so I, I just found a response to it. Very just just peculiar and and, and fascinating. And and I'm going to add this one more thing. And and, and then the resources I saw, Funders from across the nation rise up, ready to go to support this. We have been, had to self-fund our fights. Like, you know, figuring out how to get folks to Tallahassee to talk about this issue, how to feed them their meals and how to make sure that they got back home safely, making sure that our workers' comp policies are up to date and things of that nature. Other people don't have to worry about none of those things because people are coming to their rescue on this single issue. But it's it's because white women are centered within the conversation, not black people. I mean, and 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 they control the money that that navigates this these issues as well. I mean, and boom goes the dynamite. Go ahead, Michelle. (laughs) I mean, my God, on today, let's just give the Lord a a hand clap of praise. I mean, I, I we're here now, so I will tell you one of my opponents in my race was one of the folks that, that ran out and didn't stand with us. But the moment I pulled together a rapid response for abortion, I can I come in? Didn't say anything. I let him because guess what? At the end of the day, this is bigger than me. This is bigger than my campaign. The people know what's going on. But no hesitation, no nothing. But when we Black folks are literally being under attack, be very clear. And it's not just about, oh, y'all don't have two black members of Congress. Let's talk about what that means. Right. That means that we don't not only have representation, that means that resources that should come to our community are not going to be able to come to our community, or it's going to be a lot harder for it to come to our community. That means opportunities that should be coming to our community will not come to our community. That means that the, the apparatus that we have with regards to voting is already under attack because if he's gerrymandering this and we saw what he's doing in SB90 and Jasmine's organizations, when organizations that have sued him, we this is not just about like oh y'all y'all just upset because y'all don't have two two black folks no 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 it is literally tied to everything that um is concerning black folks in equity and i'm going to tell you if we aren't free ain't nobody free and so for me it has been frustrating because 
if any of y'all know any most well, like so Rebecca, you don't know me that well, but Kamara and Jasmine know y'all know when I fight, I fight for everybody. I throw my whole heart in it. I throw my whole soul in it because I understand it through the lens of justice and equity. I just wish that someone would give a shit about us as much as we do for them, especially black women. Black women will be holding up the signs. We'll be making the signs. We'll be doing all of those things. And it's like, where are y'all in the way? And we show up with our full being, our full self, our full energy, I mean, I did this rally and I flew to New York at 6 a.m. the next morning. I am still tired. Right. And I'm in call time. Mm -hmm. But where's that energy for us? And so I really do understand where Jazz comes from. And that's why I love her organization. I love organizations like uh, the Collective because we as black folks have to make sure that we are putting our money where our mouth is. We are um, uplifting and amplifying, you know, organizations like Equal Ground and Collective Pack. And, and then uh, we are getting them the funds they need to do what they need to do. So, I mean, it, it is very frustrating. So I'm going to go ahead and, you know, um, promote uh, Michelle real quick. And uh, because no, no real talk. Um, I am a very vocal supporter of her campaign, uh, also a financial supporter, and she sends me text messages every month, <laughs> reminding me to you know continue that support. But I'm gonna say, but 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 I'm gonna say this, man, because when you first announced, and this is before they took away the districts, you know. Um, sorry, the lights went off in my <laughs> room. Uh, motion sensor, but uh, when you first announced. Um, I remember I sent out some text messages to people like, are you going to support, you know, uh, Rep. Rayner? And we're like, who's, who's she running against? And it's like, yeah, two white men. Right. And um, I remember to a point they're like, oh, she's not going to win that. Right. And I was like, well, why not? Um, I mean, just look at the district. And then he gave me all these reasons. And I said, well, damn, like, I mean, shouldn't we just support her? Because we believe that she'd be the best representative for that district and not just because we're 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 couching our support based on we think, you know, she can't win because these two white men. But it's really gotten into a deep seated issue of the normalization of thinking that two white men uh, are in better positions to lead than a black woman, because why was that they didn't even talk about. You know where they were qualified. It was just they just looked at oh, there's two white men. Okay, they got that. And then you think about how like we think about leadership, and we think about how we think about um, women, and think about just anybody in his office. And so when people were when the governor was taking away two black seats, it made sense why a lot of people were like, eh, it's not a big deal because we look we don't associate power and leadership with us, especially when you know two of those seats were one of those seats were, was a black woman. Right. And so, like, I, I I'm very much passionate when I, I especially when my friends are running and, you know, um, in, in offices and I try to support them financially because I understand the uphill battle because we're battling not only the opposition, but we're also battling internally within ourselves, in our own community about how do we see somebody if they are the right person for the right spot. And there's so much 
uphill battle that we have to do. So I'm going to tell people, if you listen to this podcast, please donate to Michelle Rainer Goldsby on her march to Congress uh, because she needs it. And because we need to support people like her. And uh, this ad was paid for by the Michelle Rainer Goldsby. <laughs> www.michelleforflorida.com. <laughs> Michelle has one L. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Kate. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, but so, listen. I, Thank you, friend. I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, no, no. You know I'm going to write out for you anyway. But I just felt like it needed to be said. It needed to be said. And, you know, also we want to support organizations like, um, you know, Equal Ground because they are doing the work for, you know, representing us. And they're oftentimes the only person in that space that's doing it. So we want to make sure we support, you know, Jasmine and equal ground and, you know, being the, the person that's organizing, being the person to get on the bus, to push the bus, to get the bus, to create the bus rides there, right. To create the, 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 the data, the paperwork. And so, you know, we want to make sure we financially support and just any, and even physically support and share their messaging because, you know, we can't allow them to do the work by themselves and expect the movement. It's an, it's a community. You know, it's a community effort and they can't be the sole representative of that community. And, you know, and obviously, you know, we respect uh, what Rebecca is doing, you know, with her organization and, you know, just Black Health Commission and how it's important to get the messaging out for, you know, um, just black women or just black health, period. Because that's a, it's not a woman problem. It's a human problem. So this is why I really, really, really wanted to have, you know, you guys on this podcast. And I apologize if I interrupted you guys because I really, really wanted you guys to be the center of the conversation. I really wanted you guys to um, have your have your messaging and your voices heard on this podcast and, um, you know, just on this platform. So with that being said, I will allow you guys to do your final thoughts. And on anything, you can give me your final thoughts and uh, start with you, Rebecca. Well, I'm just really grateful that we had this conversation. It was very honest, very open. I appreciate that. There's not that many spaces that we can have this conversation in this manner. Um, um, thank you, Kamara, for um, inviting me. And um, it was really a pleasure being able to, um, you know, have this conversation with both uh, Rep. Rainer and Jasmine. Um, again, thank you, um, for that shout out at the end about Black Health Commission too, it's an organization that I started two years ago um, in the peak of the pandemic, realizing that, you know, with the media showcasing, um, pretty much putting our deaths on display um, daily, you know, with the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, I realized that not only do we need to talk about the health disparities in the Black community, but also we need to kind of help shift that focus. We need to stay alive to see our children live. Um, and so that's where the the um, the idea of the Black Joy Festival uh, came about. So that's something that we've partnered with Equal Ground before um, bringing the community together and um, having music, the spades table and all of that. We're doing that again for the second time um, on August 27th. So I just want to do that shameless plug there, but um, yeah, but thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Nothing shameless about promoting who you are, what you're about. So, you know, keep, keep plugging away. Um, jazz. Um, perfect. So Kamara, thank you for creating this space in this conversation tonight. I really appreciate it. 
Um, and uh, want to say to my co-panelists, if you will, um, so great to have this conversation with you all to get the different perspectives. Um, you know, it is, like Rebecca said, rare to be able to do this vulnerably and honest and openly and talk about this. And my hope is that this can be shared far and wide with folks who are grappling with how to show up um, at this particular time. And it's important because um, the ruling for this decision actually is not intended to come out until June. So we are going to be feeling um, the reverberated effects of this for quite some time, even if they choose to come out in June or if they plan to extend it with an investigation that they're, they're opening. But what people should know um, is that Florida does have a abortion law on the books that does not go effect go into effect until July. So no matter what the Supreme Court is doing right now, um, or when they plan to make a decision as of today, abortions are still legal in this state and you have until July to access them up to 24 weeks. After that, um, that time frame does go down so when, a bit when, in the state. When does, when does it actually you go down? July 1st. No, no. When is it like, well, it goes from 24 weeks to what? How many weeks? Uh, 15 weeks, I believe. Okay. 15 weeks yeah. um, is the the um, amount of time that it goes down. And that is based off of a Mississippi case law that actually triggered the Supreme Court conversation or Supreme Court um, ruling that is coming out. Um, and Rep. Rayner may talk about this, but I'll also add that there is a second special session getting ready to come up. One thing that is happening across the state is that legislative bodies who are currently in session are creating trigger laws. So if the Supreme Court does decide to move forward with this particular um, decision, um, our state has one final opportunity before we get to the elections to put a trigger law in place that automatically triggers and could potentially stop abortions from happening in the state of Florida. Once the Supreme Court makes their decision, that law automatically goes into effect. So that is a possibility that could be coming our way. Um, but as of right now, it is safe, it is legal, and it is available in the state of Florida until July 1st. Okay. okay. Thank you for having me, Kamara, and thank you for supporting Equal Ground as well. No, no doubt, no doubt. All right, friend, go ahead and give me your, your yeah. final thoughts. So I first, Kamara, thank you so much for just pulling this together. And um, also to Jasmine and Rebecca, you are amazing. And thank you for the work that y'all do. Um, it is truly God's work. And I'm just grateful to be able to share virtual space with y'all tonight. And so thank you for um, just being who you are. And um, I will tell you, we are in a very scary time. We're in a very dark time. Um, and Sometimes it feels like we're not close to the light. Um, sometimes it feels that we are going to stay in this dark place. But I also, as I've shared earlier during this, I come from the faith background that uh, they tell me that the darkest part of night is right before the light breaks. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping and I'm believing that that's where we're at. I think with leaders like uh, yourself, Kamara, but most certainly Jasmine and Rebecca, who are leading the charges in their respective uh, silos and um, areas, that lets me know that we're a little bit closer to the light. So what I would tell anyone listening to this uh, podcast, one, y'all need to organize like never before, whether it's your workhouse, your church house, your schoolhouse, whatever that is organized, then you need to mobilize. You need to hit, get these feet on the ground. 
around. You need to go to neighborhoods. You need to knock doors, can't, whatever it looks like, whatever mobilization looks like for you, whether it's getting on the bus, coming to Tallahassee, going to DC, what, wh whether it's knocking doors, hey, uh, registering folks to vote, you got to mobilize. Number three, you've got to find a political home, whether it's a, a to Jasmine's point, whether it's an issue that you strongly believe in, whether it's voting rights, whether it's returning citizens, whether it is uh, environmental justice, Black maternal health, find an issue or even find a candidate that you can get behind. And you need to work and find that political home. And then lastly, you have to vote like your life depends on it, because it is very clear. And these people have shown us that our life depends on if we vote or not. So that's all I have. No, that's dope. That's dope. And uh, usually at the end of every podcast, I do a, a love letter to black people. But you know what? Um, we're going to just make sure we keep it on black women. So we're going to end it on black women. And, you know, so my love letter to black women, my love letter to, to black people is uh, trust and listen and believe in black women. So that's my love letter. And so with that being said, uh, we're going to ride out with how we started by... Uh, listening to Black Women. Thank you all for listening to this podcast, and we out. Yeah. You telling me this, telling me this, you telling me that. Telling me I promise that. once you've been with me, baby, you'll never go back. Never Queens go back. always have your back. Always. I'm thinking rebirth of flat. Yeah. First time I ever saw your face, I fell in love just I like that. I know your burden gets bad. You take and carry my bags. We cry together, hold you down the days you're broken and sad. And I'ma always keep it real. No, I don't care if you mad. I'm here to make you better. I'm just like Coretta, in fact. The only kings would understand just how that metaphor matched. Tifa's still a queen. I'm just trying to follow her path. A long walk to freedom when he fought through all. The raft. I got a number if you want it. I got all of the math. All the hoodlums. I think all of us are good ones, St. Clair. I see the God in you. Even if we different, then clear. Even if we different, though. I know we all different when we paired. Huh? Been through a lot. We got a lot still to repair. We're working on it. Did it all with love, God, and Jesus. Amen. World in his palms. Akeem still needed Lisa. He needed her. I hope he treats her better than Tommy Boy treated Keisha. For sure. You gotta love your queen, cause God knows that you need us real. It's real. You and I, T.Y. Even living single, we connected by the tribe. Was raised by a queen. Know how to be one and love one and raise a king. When he's old, I'll describe how to love him. Queens come in all shapes and colors. Though we sit on thrones, we don't look down on each other.